Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Angie Trueblood. She founded the Podwise Group to help people get booked as guests on podcasts. She's also host of the Go Pitch Yourself podcast, but it wasn't always this way. She actually started off as a biology teacher at one point. So she went from dissecting frogs to helping people get on podcasts. <laughs> How interesting is that? So I don't really know the link, but maybe she'll explain it to us. <laughs> I'm also interested to learn more about her, her public speaking exploits and her journey in that as well. So welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Angie. Yeah, thank you, Neil. It's really good to uh, be here. I didn't realize how different those the starting point and the ending point are, but when you put it like that, it's very clear. Well, you know what's really interesting, Angie, is when even with this whole podcast and YouTube channel, it's always interesting to speak to people like yourself who start off from one place and end up somewhere entirely different. But I, I mean, from the bit of research I, I did on you, I saw that you got a degree in biology. So what was the motivation to get that degree? Yeah, so I just have always had an affinity to science. And in college, I initially wanted to teach. I was drawn to speaking in front of high school kids, which is so crazy. Very few people have that um, <laughs> desire, I think, when they're in their late teens, early 20s. And science was really something that I thought could help engage students. Um, it's something that's hands-on and filled with curiosity. So I went, my undergrad is in biology. I got a master's in biology. My focus was ecological genetics. And I even did a couple of years in a PhD program um, because I thought at that point I wanted to teach at the university level and quickly realized I wanted to teach high school, um, be in the public school system for a bit. Interesting. So yeah, you mentioned ecological genetics. What is that? Yeah. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so my master's project, my thesis was studying different populations of striped bass in Virginia. I'm based in Virginia and North Carolina to see, oh my God, this is so nerdy, to see where the various geographic populations, how they differed in their DNA structure. So it, it's really a way to kind of look at the evolution of different ecologies based on data that you can pull from DNA. When I was in grad school at University of Miami, I started studying beach mice um, to look at how geographically separated populations of beach mice had started to change genetically. So, yeah. You're really pulling it out of me. <laughs> Man, you're in the right podcast. It's called Teach I know. Good Lord. <laughs> Such a nerd. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Whatever. Like, wow, I thought I was dirty. No, I think I think you're the queen of that. I, I got yeah. I gotta take a I gotta take a step down. <laughs> you know, yeah. you you mentioned, Angie, that you started a PhD and we actually have that in common. I actually started a PhD as well. But I dropped out after the first year because I was two, two years oh, really? after the first year, two. Oh, well, you, oh, you lasted two. So you, yeah. you even got me beat there. You... I got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
What was yours then? Uh, biomedical engineering. So I I dropped out after the first year and I don't regret it though. I mean, when you, when you go for a PhD, you really have to know why you're there because you don't, you have no clue as to how long you're going to be there. I mean, typically with an undergrad, you could finish that in four years, but with a PhD, you finish when your advisor and your committee decides that you're done. And depending on the, on the field that you're in, it could be four, five, six. I've even heard about people being in grad school for eight years. That's a long, that's a long time to be broke. Yeah, no kidding. And I, I studying the beach mice, I mean, my sites were field sites. So they were in the sand dunes. I'm like, if a hurricane comes, it could literally wipe out an entire field site that I had, and I would have to start over. So there was also the variable in collecting the data. Um, And actually, I decided to quit a little bit after 9-11. That kind of really hit me as, is this what I want to be doing? Is this exactly where I want to be? So it was kind of a a reckoning personally, I guess, for me at that point. All right. So now you're a PhD dropout. What was next for you? I know. It's so good to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you you drop out of your PhD program after two years. What was next for you? So I came back home to Virginia. My I was at, in Miami. So that's where I had been for two years. And I came back home and taught high school for a couple of years. And talk about being broke. Um, <laughs> I was surrounded by friends that had gone to college with me and they were in accounting and business. You know, we were all single in our 20s and they were making money and able to buy, you know, small starter homes. And I... As much as I loved teaching, I kept thinking, how am I going to afford, you know, just the basis basics of buying a house one day. And I had also, I had a um, assistant principal who worked with me because I thought about going back to school to study administration, to kind of go up the ladders in public education. She basically told me not to. Um, She was like, girl, this is a lot. Um, And I have mad respect for teachers. My husband's an administrator. It just wasn't a path that I saw me having the potential to grow. And a friend recommended that I look into pharmaceutical sales because of my science background. I had taught. So there was that public speaking, being really comfortable interacting with others and those interpersonal skills. So I ended up joining a pharmaceutical company and I did that for almost 10 years. Um, I liked the interaction with the physicians, but there was so much downtime in between sales calls. That was the biggest struggle for me was not having enough, like really scientific discussions to kind of wet my whistle with that job. But I mean, I did it for 10 years, so it wasn't horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it for 10 years, hopefully it wasn't horrible the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about graduate, the friends that you graduated with and they're able to buy homes. It reminded me of a story when I was when I was still in the PhD program. So I, I came home, I think it was for Thanksgiving. And I and I went to uh, one of my friends had a condo by that time. And I certainly had no condo. I didn't have a pot to piss in. No. But he, but he had a condo and, they, and he had friends over and they were playing poker and I couldn't play. I had no money. So I had to sit there and watch all these guys play poker. These are and these weren't accountants. These were engineers. So they're they're making some good money. You know, yeah. working at IBM and Microsoft, those type of companies. So, so they had money to burn, and they're also young guys, single, no, no, no kids, no, mm-hmm. no marriage, no, no wives or anything like that. So they can spend the money however they want. I wish I, I just remember thinking to myself, man, I, this whole PhD thing, this ain't it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I just I didn't have perspective. I think you know, 
we're not going to go into all of our backgrounds and stuff, but like growing up, I didn't really have the perspective when I went into college and went into grad school about the actual paycheck and like the importance of having financial freedom and independence. So, you know, I think looking back, there's all these different careers that I, I wish I would have even known existed um, when I went to school. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I even started graduate school, it, it, this is only now I, I realize it's all these years later, but there are so many people who get get actually get the PhD. So they're unlike me, they lasted more than the year. But then they don't have there aren't enough jobs to satisfy or to, to supply to the people who want to stay in academia, for instance, because mm-hmm. a lot of the people who get these PhD programs are thinking they want to be professors at the university level. But as I said, there's not enough jobs for them. So now, yeah. they, now they're a bit disillusioned as to I spent all this time in this PhD program to get a job that's not there for me. So now what do I do? And they have this almost this existential crisis. And I've actually actually spoken on this podcast to a number of people who eventually found their way and, and now are doing things that they wanted to do. But eventually, I mean, at one point, they're figure they're trying to figure out I was in this program for you know several years, and now what do I do with this degree? And is in, does industry even want me with this degree? I spent all this time. But studying this particular thing, studying fish in in North Carolina and Virginia, in Virginia, what the hell can Stop I do with laughing. this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true though, and so much when you go to school for that long, you know, so much of your identity is wrapped up. I mean, biomedical engineering, you know, you're brilliant, and it's figuring out, okay, but I don't, what's my next step, you know, so there's definitely a figuring it out period for sure. Yeah, okay, so now you were you were a high school teacher for a couple of years, and you mm-hmm. were in pharma sales for, sales for about a decade, and then you decided to get into podcast guesting strategy, so. <laughs> I mean, was, not directly. <laughs> But eventually you founded the Podwise group. So what was, yeah. I guess, the the motivation to do that? Yeah, well, I eventually quit my job when I had kiddos. So at that time, I had a two and a four-year-old when I left pharma, came home. I, I wasn't in a position to where I, you know, as a family, I needed to have some income. And so I transitioned actually with a direct sales company, which I feel like a lot of women, that's kind of the leap that they take into entrepreneurship. It's kind of that Band-Aid. Um, And it allowed me to make income without having to run my own business and do all of it. But I started becoming aware of the online business space, courses. So I ultimately started a company, well, I won't even call it a company, but I started a business called Meal Planning Mama, where I had an online blog and I created a course to help other moms learn how to meal plan. And this is something I think I take back from teaching science. Like I have a knack for simplifying things that other people find complicated. So I just have a very analytical, let's just break this down and make it simple. When I made that course, I started pitching myself to be a guest on podcast and to connect with local news anchors. And I started landing coverage. And then other friends that I had networked in the business space started asking, how did you get that interview? How did the news come to your house? And so I realized the things that come naturally to me that I have no inhibitions about reaching out to someone do not come naturally to many other business owners. And so I started it as a freelancer really back in 2017. And we've grown from that point. And 
the journey, you know, it's still a long and windy, twisty road, but um, we officially rebranded back in 2021, took my name off of it. Um, and we have a team that helps support clients in really growing their authority, their network, and their visibility by guesting on other people's shows, similar to what we're doing today. Wonderful. You know, yeah. when you were when you were talking about meal about meal prep, it reminded me of a former boss that I had. He he uh, he had a wife, and they have they have two kids. And I just remember, <laughs> hopefully he's not watching this, but uh, <laughs> maybe he goes, I don't care. I don't work for him no more. What are you gonna do to me? So he he him and his, his I I used to hear around on around the grapevine, and I never heard it from his mouth. But apparently, they there was no meal prepping going on in the house. They basically ate fast food every night. I just remember thinking to myself, oh, those poor children. Yeah. <laughs> they need someone like you in their life. Can, can someone get them some some actual cooked food? Like they yeah. McDonald's every night? Like, damn. <laughs> I mean, it is like, especially if you have a two-person working family, you know, you get to the end of the day. And if you haven't done the legwork to know it's for dinner, it is a total mess. Kids are know. like, what's for dinner? <laughs> I don't um, know why you assume it was a two-parent and both of them were working. The mother didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were yeah. other things. Yeah, know? she's doing other things. Yeah, that's what we'll, that's what we'll stick with. <laughs> she had no job. That's great. <laughs> now, you can't put nothing in. You can't put nothing in the oven. Nothing. <laughs> she was she was driving to pick up the dinner. She was busy. Okay, busy. there you go. Yeah, I think that was before Uber Eats. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she got that together now, though. I mean, her kids are older now, so maybe it's not. No, no, she still needs to cook some food every now and then. You know what I mean? But it's, I mean, it's, but there are, I mean, depending on how you grew up, it's not like a, a natural, not all of our moms, because I was raised by a single mom. She did cook, but, you know, it, it's a challenge no matter what the structure of the family is. Whatever, stop it. <laughs> I don't know why you make ladies. I don't know why you make excuses from a woman you don't even know. <laughs> Well, because we don't know what's going on in her life. Yeah. I mean, just my, saying. Yeah, my, my kids don't need actual proper meals. Let's just get them fast food every night. That's, that's her husband can cook. Her husband can make food. Oh, yeah. After working all them all them days at the office, building oh a company, God. let me come home and, and cook the meals too, even though you were at the house all day doing, you know, other things. Okay. Oh that makes God. perfect sense. <laughs> You know, when it comes to this entire podcast and, and YouTube channel, Angie, it really, it, it stemmed from my own failings. So, you know, I failed out of a PhD program. So it didn't, the failing didn't stop there. It, it started actually in my second job when I had to give presentations in front of management. And funny enough, when I took that job, I didn't know that I had to be giving these presentations. I was told I was going to be a product development engineer. And I thought it was going to be very similar to the job I had before, which didn't require any speaking in front of people at all. But this second job, they, they, my boss brought me into the office one day and said that I was going to be a project lead. So what's a project lead? The company was too cheap to hire project managers. So they pushed that responsibility onto the product development engineers, one of which was giving project status updates to senior management on a monthly basis. So we're talking the CEO, CTO, CMO, COO, all the Cs. All the Cs. All of them in the, in the room. And, and all the project leads had to give these project status updates. And I, let me tell you, those first few ones I did were absolutely horrendous. I did not know it was possible to sweat that profusely from one's body. But that, yeah, there I was doing it on a on a monthly basis. It was it was gross. It's like like I just came out the shower. And, and then what made it even worse is that after the presentations, I'd get questions. But and the questions that I was getting, 
I thought I'd answered during the presentation, but because I didn't put it in such a way that these C people can understand now I, I was sweating before and during, and now I'm really sweating <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was terrible, but I eventually got better at it. And, and now I like to talk to people like myself, maybe people that have those, those technical backgrounds to see what did they do to get better at, at, at giving these pre giving presentations or at public speaking in general, or just even more simply, when did they, when was their wake up moment that maybe this is something that I need to get better at? So for someone like mm -hmm. yourself, when did you realize that speaking in front of others could be a benefit to you? It was definitely in that, well, I'll even take it back to in the direct sales business that I had been in. There were times where I hosted events, uh, introducing the business, what we sold, how you could join to groups of people in person. So we would create slide decks and kind of share what we did. And so that was something that I knew I need to be able to connect with these women if they are going to kind of take it a step further and be interested in trusting us to support them in their own business growth. Um, but, you know, I, I thought about this today before we got on. Speaking has always been a component from the time I was in college and teaching. Um, I, I did debate club in high school. And I even remember in high school, I went for a scholarship, again, single mom. So I was figuring out all the scholarships that I could figure out. And one of them, I remember I had to give a speech at it was like the Ruerton Club or like the Mason Lodge, like just some real old school building in our town. And I froze. I didn't prep for it enough. I was petrified going in and I will never forget it. I was probably, I guess it had to have been like 11th grade or 12th grade, just the sheer, just that blank face, you know, when you've ever fallen flat on your face speaking. And I, I don't know if consciously I recognized that I needed to kind of tighten that up, but I always do look back on it. So I feel like I typically not over prepare, but I prepare for podcast interviews. I prepare, even if I'm going into, you know, someone's paid mastermind to do a Q and a session, I want to know who I'm talking to so that I can feel confident. And I think that's a, a big thing we work with, with clients. I work with it on my own is walking into, and it's, the story that you shared, you didn't feel confident walking into that. So how could you have performed well? So I think a big part of it is just knowing your audience so that you can kind of anticipate any unknown. Same with teaching high school, right? Who are these kids? Like, I want to know about them. I want to connect with them so that there's some sort of relationship. I don't feel like I'm talking to strangers. I think it's smart that you saw the benefit of preparing before you go into any situation. I actually have a friend and he makes fun of the fact that I practice my presentations before I give them. He He's more of the, I guess, wing it type of people. But at least I've, I've signed in on, on him giving presentations and you can definitely tell the difference between practicing and not practicing. Because when you don't practice, it just comes out. The words just come out as they do. And when that happens, they don't necessarily come out in the best way or the most useful right. way. At least when you practice, you can figure out what what should I say first? What what should come next? What should come after that? You can figure out what the a logical flow of your ideas can be. So make it easier for the people in the audience to really follow along with what you're saying. And not only that, but I find that when you don't practice, you use a lot more filler words. 
And he uses so many of them. In fact, <laughs> another story. He was a guest on my podcast. Hopefully he's not watching. You know, if he's watching, I don't care. He, he, I don't work for him either. So <laughs> I'm sensing a theme, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so my mother, my mother actually called me after listening, at least partially listening to the episode. She said that she she enjoys the, the podcast. This is the first time she, she ever called me about the podcast. And she said she was listening to that episode, but she couldn't listen to it after about a couple of minutes. Because the guest, my friend, used so many filler words, she found it so distracting that she just she just stopped listening. And I just remember, I just remember thinking, well, maybe, well, I didn't think that at the time, but I'm certainly thinking that now. Maybe she had taken some some tips from you and actually prepared for the podcast before he actually came on it. Maybe maybe less filler words, we would use less of them. Yeah, I mean, I think. Even as a podcast host, I feel like there was a time a couple of years ago where hosts would say, oh, it's just a really casual conversation. We're going to see where it goes, which is great. And that, you know, you said that also, like it's conversational, but you know the direction that you want to take the show in as a host who's either creating solo content or interviewing someone. And that's because I care about my listener. You know, that's because you care about your listener. You don't want this long and windy path of a conversation. It's great to have tangents, but you can't really set it up to tell a cohesive story if you're just coming up with stuff on the fly. So I'm a big fan. I actually script almost all of my solo episodes, but I don't think they sound scripted. And I go off and have you know, one-off stories that I will tell that are not written out. But I just think when when there's a purpose for your speaking, which there always should be, you should be speaking without purpose, um, you got to do the legwork. You want to make it effective and you want to make the listener or the audience connect with you. You know, you mentioned your podcast, so that's a, that's a great time to me, for me to ask a question about it, the Go Pitch Yourself podcast. Mm -hmm. I guess what when it comes to it, what type of people listen to it? And what do you hope people take away from your podcast? The people that listen to it are ones who are interested in guesting on other people's podcasts. So they're typically business owners who are looking to grow their visibility. They are authors who know the benefit of creating buzz when their book comes out to creating thought leadership. So there are people who typically have a business and are starting to step into higher levels of visibility, um, higher levels of thought leadership. My hope for the listeners is that really they walk away feeling confident that they are ready to show up um, because I think that's a lot of when any type of speaking, right? There's this confidence piece to know that there's not a specific point that you get to where you are ready to be a podcast guest. It is you are ready at all levels because we all have stories that are valuable and need to be heard. You just have to find the right places to share them. So it's really, I share a lot of actionable tips, but at the end of the day, I try to demystify the whole process of podcast guesting. We're stepping into podcast hosting a little bit as well. And I just want people to walk away from it feeling more ready, more confident to share their voice because my goal is that we see you know, a bigger diversity of voices in this world. And the only way that we can do that is by normalizing it. Oh, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And I think you also have to come to the realization that no matter how prepared you are, there very, there very well may be something that happens during the podcast that, that you didn't prepare for and just being being willing to roll with the punches. And, totally. and once, I mean, once you do that, you can really have fun with it. And, but then I, I guess in, a, in, another, in another vein, 
the, the the preparation is really important because you're on that podcast most likely to to talk about what you're an expert in and you really want to let that expertise shine and hopefully the the host asks you questions in which you're able to do that easily because sometimes they may very well ask you questions where it might not be that easy and you might have to try to find ways to to make it so that your expertise shines shines and and then it's not as enjoyable that way so hopefully at least for the people that have been on my podcast <laughs> that hasn't been an issue for them but it, if it has i mean they haven't said anything and maybe maybe that's a good sign but i guess we'll, we'll never know unless they say something so when well, that's where i mean that's where the prep work comes in too is like knowing what the host wants to talk about and you can figure out the way to plant seeds throughout without being obnoxious you know Right. I mean, or, yeah, indeed. Although I will say that maybe your your definition of obnoxious and their definition of obnoxious might be different. Very fair. <laughs> but hopefully they never say that to you in your face. They'll just say it to no. other people that you don't know. So you'll never find out. <laughs> Could stand that damn guess. But... Uh-huh. Yeah. Walking billboard. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so when it comes to just speaking in front of others, do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? So in the virtual setting, I really don't. So I no longer get nervous when I have interviews with people or even when I give speaking presentations. When I stand up in front of people, depending on the audience, I will get nervous, which I think is normal. And I just, I use a lot of humor in my podcasts, when I speak, when I connect with others. And so if I not tell a joke, like it's not like I'm a stand-up comedian, but if I inject a little bit of humor into my presentation and the audience laughs, that settles me. So if it is a more formal presentation to where I'm doing slides and I'm speaking in front of a literal room of people, I always make sure near the beginning, there is some opportunity for humor to almost like disarm the room so that we can all kind of take a deep breath connect and then move forward but yeah i totally get nervous stepping on stages yeah i mean i've said this on this podcast and youtube channel before and i I, it it bears repeating i mean if you don't get nervous before giving a presentation it's likely because you don't care about the outcome so it's normal to get nervous it's not something to run away from it's just something to manage i mean i mentioned that i used to sweat a lot giving those presentations in front of, of management and now to combat the sweating i wear a sweater (laughs) <laughs> you're a sweater wear a sweater yeah. you know yeah. it, people can't even can't even see it yeah it does, i don't know if it, it helps with the flop sweat though on my face but that's something i gotta work <laughs> on <laughs> i used to work <laughs> i when i was in sales i worked with a guy who love him but also he had a sweating i think he got nervous too and just you know, the interactions that we had with doctors were almost so few and far between. It was only a couple minutes of a day. And I think he just got so hyped up for that time um, that you could just, I mean, just the persona was not relaxed when he was in that conversation. And that's where I feel like the best public speaking, the best presentations are when you can find ways to relax yourself. If it's wearing a sweater, so you're not nervous that people are going to see you sweating, cool. You know, if it's telling a joke so that y'all can all laugh and you can regroup, you got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. So for the people who are listening or watching this conversation, what would your number one tip be for them to become more effective at at public speaking? I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. Um, Well, first the preparation, I, that would be, it is 
do a little research on your audience, understand not just demographics. I feel like we're so conditioned to be like, oh, it's an audience, you know, they're 25 to 35 years old. This is the industry that they're in, but get a sense of why are they showing up to listen to you? What is their experience with the topic? I'm giving a presentation in a month and a half to our local chamber of commerce on podcasting. And I purposefully did not make it around podcast guesting because the audience is probably not even at the point of fully understanding how to use a podcast in business, much less a podcast guest. So, but I'm going to know walking in where they are so I can feel comfortable delivering the content that is going to help us connect with each other. So it's know your audience and really amend your content to meet their needs. Absolutely. And thank you for giving your number one tip, which is to prepare. You know, whenever yeah. I ask that question, people sometimes give two or three. And I just remember thinking, well, you don't take direction very well. I said one. <laughs> I, I asked for number one. I was like, yeah. I, I, hope, I hope you're not an employee of someplace. <laughs> you must have a problem with your boss. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you're an entrepreneur. You need to make your own rule. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Angie. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can definitely listen to the Go Pitch Yourself podcast. And I'm active on LinkedIn at Angie Trueblood. So I'd love to connect with any listeners, especially in that STEM space. I miss that nerdy part of my life. So definitely connect with me and shoot me a DM that you heard me on Teach the Geek. And if you're interested in stepping into podcast guesting, they can go over to my site, thepodwisegroup.com, and that's podwise with a Z. And if you do the backslash hi there, you can really see an organized way of how we could work together and different resources that we have. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek, and you can find out more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Angie. Yep. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.